Welcome to the Imago Day podcast, the show of philosophical and theological reflections for today's world. I'm Lewis, and I'm here with Joseph Terry. Joe, how are you doing? I am doing well, Lewis. Great to talk to you. Yeah! You know, <laughs> the, the coffee is pumping through my it's veins. It's in. All right, which is perfect because today we are talking about an important theologian that I knew nothing about named uh, Maximus the Confessor. Now, Joe, you put me on to this amazing thinker through your paper entitled God's Passable Flesh, Maximus's Somatic Theology. Uh, now, Joe, why did you write this paper? What is this paper about? Why did you write it? What, what got you thinking about this? Yeah, it's a great question. I had the privilege of sitting under, once again, the teaching of Father John Baer, who's one of the uh, leading luminaries uh, in the world with regards mm-hmm. to patristic studies, uh, the studies of the early church father. Mm-hmm. And um, this this uh, second opportunity uh, took place at St. Vladimir Seminary, where he's, uh, where he's at. And the course focused on Maximus the Confessor, and it was a, it was a seminar. It was about 12 students. It was great. Got a chance mm-hmm. to sit with uh, some seminarians. They're all in their black cassocks and, and being trained and formed uh, for the priesthood within the Orthodox Church. Wow. And, and the culminating uh, uh, um, uh, paper uh, was to do some sort of research into uh, Maximus, which the course was about. And mm-hmm. so I decided to focus on, on the... Uh, flesh uh, or or the somatic, the somatic reality of of Maximus's thinking, mm-hmm. uh, the thinking about the body and how the body plays a, a crucial role, I believe, in Maximus's thought with regards to um, not only a sort of theological anthropology, but but in particular, a revelation of God in and through the body. Mm. And 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 that was quite intentional, me writing about that because uh, that's the sort of long-term view that I have in working on my dissertation. My dissertation is going to be focusing on both philosophical and theological anthropology. And um, uh, it, it was very intentional for me to, to, to take this second course with uh, Father John after I've taken a course in Irenaeus um, because I'm thinking about using these figures uh, within my dissertation. So yeah, wow. that's, that's how I got to Maximus. Yeah. It was a wonderful <laughs> time, wonderful time with him. Yeah. So, so who is he exactly and why is his work so important? Yeah, well, he's he's a critical, critical early church uh, uh, father. Mm-hmm. Uh, he lived around the so roughly around the sixth, seventh century. A critically important figure in the the early church uh, for a number of reasons. His early life, from what I remember, is not well known. Okay. Um, there there are speculations. Uh, we know that he was well educated, well formed. Uh, uh, he, we could see that in his writings. Uh, he's well versed in both Platonic and Aristotelian philosophy. Mm-hmm. Platonic mm-hmm. simply meaning Plato, the philosophy of Plato, and the philosophy mm-hmm. of Aristotle, and uh, their successors, uh, the, the schools that spun off of their philosophies. Um, that that continued for hundreds of years after that. It seems that uh, more than seems that that Maximus is well educated well-versed in, in sort of those traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also know that he worked as a, as a civil servant, uh, as an aide to the, at that time, the Byzantine emperor. Uh, so he definitely had some sort of governmental position. And then he had a call, as it were. He had a vocational shift where he decided to become a monk. So he left wow. that position, yeah, and uh, became a monk. And it was in the, his time of prayer reflection that he got drawn into uh, what was, as it were at that time, one of the major 
questions uh, that came up uh, right after um, or, or sometime after uh, uh, the, the, the 451 AD Chalcedonian formulation, right? The Chalcedonian, uh, um, my goodness, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. The Chalcedonian, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, council, the Council of Chalcedon. Uh. <laughs> and that happened at 451 AD. And mm. um, uh, uh, Maximus was drawn into this because there was this teaching that started to really catch fire Mm-hmm. Uh, in the church, that Jesus um, only had one will. Interesting. Uh, even though he has two natures, a fully mm-hmm. divine nature and a fully human nature. Now, I think for us, we're like, the heck? Like, who cares? Like, what you, <laughs> what, why is that even a question? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right? why, is, why is that distinction so important as far as like... Yeah, it's a, and, it, and, it's, and I think it's a really valid and important question. Um mm-hmm. In essence, what's at stake is salvation, right? Really? And so, yeah. And so, uh, predicated on scripture, the the early church, in its theological uh, reflections, came to this awareness that that God's enfleshment, right? God becoming human, um, was uh, and is decisive for the salvation of humanity and of uh, by consequence, the entire cosmos, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's because that in the uh, in in God assuming our human nature, He saves it and heals it from within, as it were. So, wow. not necessarily the best analogy here, but let's say you take your flu vaccination or any vaccination; it typically works by mm-hmm. way of actually introducing the the let's say the virus to your system in a very small dosage uh, mm-hmm. so that your body can build up the antibodies and, 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 and have its immune system from within. Right. And so that's how you then become immune as it were to the particular disease. And so there's some sort of a inverse logic there where God becomes flesh as it were to, to heal us from within. Right. Uh, uh, to heal the fullness of our humanity. Okay. Mm. And I know that's a bit abstract and it's out there and, and there's <laughs> no, it, it makes sense. Is it so is this what the council was arguing about? Like what was the intentionality? Yeah. Well, in the in the 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 there were a lot of debates in the early church, first couple of hundred years, with regards okay. to the question about the relationship between God and man, between God and humanity mm-hmm. in Christ. How do we parse out, how do we understand? Uh, 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 the divinity and humanity of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were many different camps and positions. Some thought of him kind of as a demigod, the same way we would think of Hercules, right? Half okay. man, half God. His father mm-hmm. Zeus and his mother's whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And and kind of like this weird mixture of the two. Some will say, no, it's actually fully God, right? Fully, like Jesus was fully God mm-hmm. uh, and his humanity was more or less a specter. It was more of an sort of image. There was no real humanity within Christ. As, mm-hmm. as it were, God put on a suit and when God mm-hmm. was done, he kind of unclothed Take himself, it <laughs> yeah. put it off, and then that was it, right? Others yeah. will say, uh, well, no, it, it was actually the other way around, that Jesus was fully man, fully human, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. God, but God, as it were, came upon him in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he had a sort of God consciousness, mm-hmm. and he was able to operate uh, within, with, in concert with God's will, even though he himself was not God. And so you see this sort of spectrum of positions regarding mm-hmm. How do we understand the relationship between the human and the divine 
within Christ, right? And so this culminates in many ways in the Council of Chalcedon that happened around 451 AD, where it was hammered out uh, this clear position that Jesus Christ uh, is one hypostasis, right? One person, mm-hmm. okay? Divine person uh, uh, who has a full a full human nature and a full divine nature that are hypostatically united that is again simply to say they are they are united his humanity and his divinity are united in his person by way of his person and that the the humanity and the divinity element of Christ uh are not mixing they're not confused uh they're not separated they are they are mysteriously united to the degree in which it is one person Fully mm-hmm. God, fully man, right? Mm-hmm. And I, wait, this is I a profound would, mystery, yeah. Quick, so a question about that. Like, mm-hmm. is, is that to say that Jesus' humanity was, but, okay, so is it saying that Jesus' humanity was eternal by saying that oh, it's a hypostatic right. union, or, or was it just this moment in time that his yeah. humanity existed? This is a great. This is a great question. So, so his humanity is not eternal from the onset, right? So we okay. see clearly from Scripture, and, and the councils mm-hmm. will will uh, um, uh, echo this. They'll 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 affirm this mm-hmm. that that God, as it were, becomes flesh. He becomes okay. in time mm-hmm. hum, a human being mm-hmm. um, without ceasing to be God. So it's not it's not the case that his divinity transmutes or transforms into humanity. It's okay. that his divinity takes up humanity and unites it infinitely to his divinity, mm. right? So the human element, uh, the the human nature of Christ comes into in time. Now there's a great mystery here because, um, in one sense, we we can think about the, I mean, there it gets actually quite complicated. <laughs> um, but 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 you know because I'm thinking of different positions here. Even Father Father yeah. John Bear and, and what he would say. But but we see we see in time flesh coming to be. But from then on, uh, for all eternity, for all eternity, humanity is linked with divinity. Wow, they are one in mm-hmm. the hypostatic union of Christ, mm-hmm. and which is why Paul can say, for instance, when you've uh, been baptized. Uh, you've mm-hmm. been baptized into the death of Christ, and when you were, and when you're coming out of the the waters of baptism, it is as if you were resurrected with Christ. To the degree in which Paul can wow. say, "You are now, now seated in Christ on the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realm." Wow. Somehow, uh, mystically, we are already in Christ, which is, by the way, the dominant way Paul the Apostle speaks of our salvation. The dominant way he speaks of it in the New Testament is this word, in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, we are in Christ, in, mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. in, right? To, to signify positionally, we are there. We mm-hmm. are already eschatologically situated, yet we are experiencing reality still here and now, as it were, feeling as it were divorced from Christ or from the kingdom of God. And mm-hmm. that's this idea of we're caught up in the sort of the tension, right? The kingdom is here, but not yet here. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. already we are seeing a very fascinating dynamism of both time and space, mm-hmm. location, mm-hmm. universality, transcendence, imminence, mm-hmm. 
it, 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 to the point where figures, women and men of God like Maximus uh, in their contemplative practice of reflecting on the revelation are drawn into this sort of infinite depth. Because when mm. we see this amazing revelation of God in Christ reconciling the world to himself, let's say, Mm-hmm. This this uh, uh, ignited by faith ignites then in turn our mind to seek to know. Right, theology mm-hmm. is faith seeking understanding, mm-hmm. and you see we see this beautifully displayed in the in the works of Maximus. And so mm-hmm. he's hugely important, uh, and 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 he's a very important figure both in the East and in the West. Mm-hmm. And so he stood against this teaching that that Jesus has only one will, um, which I, it's always hard for me to pronounce this word. It's mono monothelitism or the, okay. uh, um, uh, monothelitism. <laughs> I always forget that. it. <laughs> yeah, it's M O N O T H E L I T I S M, right? And then he positions. Uh, 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 he's going to say no. It's dio, right? Diothelitism. Right. Mm, Um, That that Christ, that the person of Jesus has actually two wills. He has a fully human will Mm -hmm. and a fully divine will. Now, when I hear that, there's a sort of instinct that says, wait a minute, is he like schizophrenic? Like, what does that mean? Right. Right. But but it's important to to keep in mind that what 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 Maximus wants to preserve is the full humanity and the full divinity of christ Mm. he wants to preserve that Mm -hmm. and 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 maximus believes that if we deny the human will of jesus then that means the incarnation wasn't a full incarnation he didn't take up humanity in its full he left out as it were the will our volitional aspect which we would if you think about it is central to our humanity yeah. Right. It would make it would make the human Jesus dragged along by the divine Jesus, as it were, by, by the divine, yeah. will. almost and, like a prisoner. Of yeah. The yeah. And then and then our wills, this is how it works, would have never had the ability to be healed from within. Mm, wow. You see? So so that so that we can that you and I can cultivate the virtues uh, is indicative of the fact that God became flesh all the way, that God himself took up our full humanity, including mm-hmm. our full our will, mm-hmm. and united it perfectly to his divinity in, 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 the, in the one hypostasis, the one hypothesis of Christ. So, so just to kind of summarize, so Maximus is saying that by uh, Jesus had two wills because in essence uh god was showing the way like that it was possible for humanity to be able to kind of align their will with the things of god absolutely uh, and still be human like beautiful okay you got it and and now now even our categories of thought right our our our, this this uh, they implode from within because when Mm -hmm. we take the incarnation seriously Right, this doctrine, this this amazing teaching, which is at the heart of our faith, mm-hmm. the the careful parsing out of human and divine, as it were, breaks away, mm-hmm. not to the point where the human and the divine 
are mixed and confused, right? Mm -hmm. Chalcedon wants to say, no, 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 they're, they're not inter, they're not confused, but they are infinitely one. So what mm -hmm. that means is that, and Maximus will say this, that Jesus, uh, Jesus, his humanity does things divinely, and Jesus's divinity does things human, uh, humanly. Right. Wow. Wow. So, right. So there's this amazing interpenetration to the degree in which we can no longer think of God divorced mm -hmm. from the human being. And because we can know because of Christ. And we can no wow. longer think of uh, our humanity divorced from the embodiment of God himself. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> right. The cross, and, and, the cross really was a bridge between like. Oh, my goodness, and, bro. And, and, and we're talking here about the incarnation. We yeah. haven't even got to the cross because the cross yeah. would be, in one sense, the the fullest expression, mm -hmm. the highest pitch of the incarnation, right? The, the that that God condescends, He stoops down, He lowers Himself to the point where He would take up human flesh and unite it infinitely mm -hmm. so to Himself, mm -hmm. and then, as if that weren't enough, goes all the way to dying an ignoble death mm -hmm. on a Roman mm -hmm. cross, right? In shame wow. and despair and and, and then dies, and then dies. We can, the Christian can properly say to, let's say, the atheist philosopher Nietzsche, hey, bro, mm -hmm. guess what? Uh, God actually did die. Mm -hmm. God died. Mm -hmm. the, the, there was as a sort of existential atheism that hasn't been enacted, clearly mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yet, yet God resurrected. But we don't say this the same way, let's say, the and uh, pagans would say, oh, gods die and rise and whatnot, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. what's being maintained here is this mystery of the infinite transcendent mm -hmm. who is closer to us than we are to ourselves, right? The unconditioned good becoming human beings. Different than we're speaking of God. If we, now, if we're thinking of God as a being among other beings, which is how many of us typically think of God, right? It's like a sort yeah. of a, a mistaken reasoning there. Mm -hmm. as a sort of spirit that is identifiable and so over there, mm -hmm. uh, th then we're going to, you know, we're going to think, okay, then, then a, you know, a spirit like that can then become enfleshed as it were. And sure. But we're talking about the very ground of being becoming human. We're talking mm -hmm. about the eternal logos, mm -hmm. right? Becoming a singular, particular human being. The mm -hmm. scandal of particularity, as some theologians will say, mm -hmm. right? And um, and and Maximus is is uh, uh, really keen on this. He's 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 hyper nuanced uh, mm -hmm. about these matters, and and I think he's bringing out so much of the beauty within it. So there, there's a few things I, I want to understand Maximus's views on. First, I want to talk about his views on space and time because I, mm. I feel like that's a really important starting point, especially since you said that he was um, he was well versed in in yeah. Plato and Aristotle. So yeah. I, I would like to start there. What what was Maximus's views on space and time? That's a that's a pregnant question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot there. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot there. It's a lot there. And 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 and. Oh, I mean, I don't even know where to be. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, if, here, if well, you have to summarize it, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's the reason why I say it. the question is so is so substantive because, um, what we would need to do is spend a considerable amount of time, uh, mm -hmm. uh thinking about the, 
uh, way that Aristotle, for instance, would think of space and time and Plato mm -hmm. would think of space and time. Mm -hmm. So let me give you as an example here. Okay. Uh, when, when I say motion, when, when we think of motion, what usually, let's say for you, Lewis, what, 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 what comes to mind when you say motion? Um, I think of like transportation. I think of mm -hmm. an object moving from point A to point B. Right, right. So you, when, when you hear the word motion, immediately your mind goes to local motion, right? Yes. That is, uh, right. You're transitioning just like you said, from point A to point B, uh, mm -hmm. in terms of, of, of space and time. Mm hmm now, Aristotle, now, 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 uh, Maximus uses the word motion quite often in his works. But the way when he uses the word motion, it, it nothing could be further from the truth. It has nothing to do with <laughs> locomotion, okay. right? It has to do with actually the movement from potential to actuality, from potentiality to actuality, okay. which is a very Aristotelian way of thinking of motion, as it mm -hmm. were. So, so. Let me see if I can concretize this. Um, um, that a pencil is on the table, um, um, and I move the pencil from the table to another table, is an act of locomotion, but not of motion from potential to actuality. Mm -hmm. Right? Why? Because I'm just moving the body of the pencil from one table to another. And that's mm -hmm. the way you think, and well, most of us think of motion, right? At least, at least instinctually, or first, the first order. Um, but there is a different kind of motion that is enacted when I take up the pencil in my hand and I begin to write. Mm. That's the motion that that uh, persons like Maximus, Allah, following in the footsteps of Aristotle, is thinking of. Right. So that, that, that is reminds me of uh, mm -hmm. our, our conversation on metaphysics. You got it. You okay. got it. You got it. Very nice. And so and so you, you are you're drawing out there motion is then understood as the, the, the shift from potentiality to actuality. OK. From manifesting uh, uh, its inherent purpose of okay. a particular object. Okay. And so th that's key. Right. In order to just understand like motion um within within maximus now now with regards to actual space as in three dimensions of space and time mm -hmm. uh this is also quite complicated for maximus because um while while space is transcended in all kinds of infinite ways by means of god's uh condescension um um and 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 then we would need to even qualify that we would need to say well in what sense because remember god is everywhere yet nowhere right as the ground mm -hmm. of being it's not that god is ever distant from any particular thing because mm -hmm. god is the one in in presence power and 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 intelligibility is in everything right wow. as it were right yeah. so yeah. so there's no space there and so though the scriptures speak of uh um um the incarnation with the sort of mythological language of god condescending right that he descends like he that 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 God, just the way we see Jesus leave, right? He ascends into the heavens as if the heavens are like out there. The yeah. reality is that that's a way of uh, allegorically or metaphorically speaking of something that really transcends our understanding. Right? The scripture is not mm -hmm. giving us a sort of metaphysics there; it's just giving us uh, uh, what has taken place, as it were, in one sense, but mm -hmm. pointing to something infinitely richer and deeper. 
And wow. so when we think of space, we, we need to be very nuanced. And then when we think of time, this is where this is the kicker, right? Because time is crazy. <laughs> because yes, it I, it's, it's, I mean, it's like, what do you mean? <laughs> but it's really good. I mean, like we remembered what took place yesterday, right? All right. Mm-hmm. But we don't mm-hmm. remember what's going to happen tomorrow because mm-hmm. th- that's a weird language, right? Like, wait, tomorrow yeah. has not yet ha- happened. How can I remember tomorrow? Yeah. Um, so there's a clear linearity to the way we experience time. There's a clear chronological ordering of things. But now go back to God. God, uh, as the unconditioned good, as the infinite um, uh, it, it, time, as well as space and all things, are creatures of God, right? Mm-hmm. And God is not confined to temporality, to temporal physics, as it were. Mm-hmm. And when we see um, the resurrection, let's say, in faith, like, oh, the resurrection, right? This is not mere resuscitation. It's not like Jesus was, like, passed out and he was bruised and bloodied up and then something miraculous took place, like his heartbeat started coming back, like Mm. a sort of near-death experience, and he just rolled up out of the grave and was like, oh, here I am, like, still Mm. in my battered, bruised self. No, he's in a glorified state. This is the true resurrection. Mm. And going into very complicated matters with regards to Jewish eschatology and whatnot, what this means, among many other things, is that the kingdom of God, right, that, that, that the resurrection, which was understood to take place in the end of time, right, the, the last mm-hmm. days, right, the resurrection is only going to happen when God comes back, right, mm-hmm. uh, took place in time. <laughs> wow. and, and, and so, and so um, which is why Paul will speak of Christ being the first fruit of the resurrection, right, the, the first of the many who will follow, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, Christ in his resurrected state is a proleptic appearance of all of our resurrection. Now, what does this word proleptic mean? Simply Mm -hmm. means that which is from the future coming into the present. Wow. Even though it's still in the future. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. psychologically, we can think of proleptic like, let's say, go to a funeral, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden we're confronted with our our own mortality. Mm -hmm. In one sense, we are proleptically uh, we are proleptically arrested by our own death. Wow. Not that we're dying now, but yeah. we are confronted psychologically or psychologically with the reality that will, in fact, de facto take place, right? By, by means of, sure. yeah. Uh, but this, what happens in Christ is far more deep, right? Because mm-hmm. the resurrection actually did ha- take place. Mm-hmm. And so that means that the future, God's future came into the present. Now, um, this sets up an interesting dynamic with regards to the way Christians ought to think of time and how the Christian, how the church has thought of time, right? Mm-hmm. Because here we are, we can say you and I, we are seated in Christ. We go to the table, right? We go to the Eucharist. We take the, the body and blood of Christ. We know that this is an eschatological event. This points to the, the, the meal that we will have with God in the end of ages, but yet we're mm-hmm. having it here and now. And it's the very mm-hmm. substance that carries us. Right. Um, we are seated in Christ. Yet we don't feel that. Right. We still struggle in sin. We still flounder around. We still are caught up in our own silliness and stupidity. Mm-hmm. Yet we are already saved and made whole. So there's this dialectic here between mm-hmm. the, the here and the not yet. Right. Or, or excuse mm-hmm. me, the not yet and the yet. Right. That, that the kingdom of God is here, but not fully yet revealed here. And, and so time we, is like the medium for that. Yeah, dialectic. time is weird, right? Because the future is present. 
yet not mm. fully present. So when we think of time and space, and the Bible does this, um, it does it in sort of that kind of logic, right? Okay. Because it, it's it's and and of course when when we're then what that means is it really stretches our categories. It, it's very um, it, it's it's very reminiscent too of a sort of uh, relativistic perspective, Albert Einstein, uh, mm -hmm. general and special theory of relativity. But no, without going there, um, <laughs> we have all of this. So to bring it all back, when Maximus is thinking of time and space, he's thinking of, number one, of God's infinite splendor, who mm -hmm. is the one who anchors and grounds all of, all of reality. So in one sense, God is never far from you, never far from me, just like Paul says in, in Acts 17. Uh, mm -hmm. In him, we live, move, and have our being. Mm -hmm. We live, move, and have our Mind you, this is Paul speaking to a bunch of philosophers in Athens who have not yet put their faith in Christ. But he can say with a surety, with certainty, that by virtue of our contingency, by virtue of our finitude, all of us, all of reality participates in the infinite, right? So no one is ever far in this sort of metaphysical sense, right? Wow. So, what, so, so, so Maximus, is, he's really aware of that, right? As a good Christian, as one who's standing in the tradition of what Plato and Aristotle, mm -hmm. uh, you see this particularly in his Logoi, his, his Logos, Logoi uh, doctrine, which we can talk about. And then time also, Maximus's understanding of time mm -hmm. is all kinds of inverted and, and, and wild by means of the eschatology, the eschatological revelation of God in time, right? The future of God in the present. Wow. Uh, and so Maximus is doing this kind of fancy, deep uh, theology in, in relation to all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's, let's jump into um, Maximus's views mm -hmm. of uh, anthropology. It seems mm. like it seems like he had a an interest in the the this idea of the body here and now or in the present moment and the theological implications of it. Why yeah. why is the body this like such an important focal point uh, in Maximus's worldview? Yeah, the simple the simple response is because God Himself has a body, mm -hmm. and uh, He has a human body, mm -hmm. and and so. What God has assumed, he has also healed from within. Wow. That God became flesh gives our flesh and our body infinite dignity in a way that, that is beyond comparison, right? Mm -hmm. uh, to the degree in which we can now say that in the very bosom of God, in the very heart of the Trinitarian life of God, mm -hmm. is a human being who is pierced, who is bruised, who was rejected, who was disenfranchised, who was marginalized, mm. that God himself is the forgotten, marginalized, abused, ripped asundered one, right? Mm. Mm. Um, in the very heart of the Trinitarian life. Wow. And this means that our very bodies have a profound... Um, uh, uh, a, a profound uh, meaning uh, in, in the very life of God, if we can go that far to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So 
there are a number of ways the New Testament plays this out and Maximus plays this out. And I know the, I know you asked a question about Maximus's anthropology here, and we, mm-hmm. we should we ought to get to that. But mm-hmm. consider, for instance, when Paul writes in First Corinthians that uh, when you sleep with a prostitute. Paul is just wild, right? He's straight out. <laughs> he's going right for it. He's, yeah, he's like, I mean, he's, uh, within context, but he's like, yeah. you're sleeping with a with a, with a prostitute. <laughs> uh, uh, when you when you have this sort of sexual engagement with another that is not right, that you're not in any commitment, it's not hollowed, it's not right. Mm-hmm. He says, "Don't you know that you're taking the very body of Christ and joining it to a harlot?" Strong <laughs> language from Paul. It, it, it's Christ sleeping with a prostitute. Wow. It's like when you're looking at porn, it's Christ, as it were, a part of Christ that's looking at porn. Wow. Because your body is the living temple of God mm-hmm. by virtue of baptism and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Right, so that's one way the New Testament will 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 flesh out the sort of theological anthropology there, particularly with regards to the body. Right, that you can't just do whatever you want to do with the body. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price, as yeah. Paul says. Right, the very precious blood of Christ Himself, mm-hmm. as as, as uh, Peter will say, Peter. Now, Maximus has all of this in the back of his mind. He's a good student of Scripture. Mm-hmm. The, of the rich theological tradition of the church. Mm-hmm. As someone who is deeply engaged in the philosophical thought of his day, Maximus realizes that the locus of God's revelation is in the very flesh and blood of Jesus, in the very body of Jesus, whom we ingest in the Eucharist whom we take into our very bodies, right? And in whom mystically we are united to the degree in which we can now say that your body is one with the body of Christ, which is the church. Mm-hmm. It's a continu- the church is the continuation of the incarnation of the Lord, as it were. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Wow. That God is revealed in the highest pitch through the somatic reality of Christ through the bodily reality of Christ tells us something not only about God, but of our humanity. Mm-hmm. And that all of reality is actually situated in the microcosmic reality of the body is something that Maximus is fleshing out as well. Because he, mm-hmm. Maximus is taking these scriptures where for instance, that God was in Christ on the cross, reconciling the world to himself. Why? Like, what is that? When we sit and meditate on a scripture like that, right? Mm-hmm. Or that, or that, that Jesus, that Christ is, is, is the fullness of God embodied, right? Like, what is like, we read these Bible verses and we're like, okay, that sounds deep and mystical. But <laughs> when we sit and really sit with this, like really think about it, contemplate it, what mm-hmm. we get is what Maximus is coming up. He, he's, He's putting together all these ideas. He's saying, wait a minute, the body, the body is the site not only of God's revelation to us, 
But it's also the very site in which God is reconciling the world to himself. Wow. So there's something already in within the human body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 allows God to do this, as it were. Okay. And so then he sees the body, the human being, mediated through soul and body as this sort of high priest, that we all have a priestly office as a human being to bring together the totality of the cosmos into unity with God. Mm-hmm. Right? So think of, think, of, think of Paul's words in Romans where he says, all of creation is subject to bondage and, and, and all of reality is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. That, that means you and I, for the day when, when we come into our own glory and then all of creation will come into glory as well. So I want you to think of this in a very interesting, maybe poetic way. I used to think of this back in the day. Like when you're walking in the park, bro, let's say you go downstairs right after this conversation, mm-hmm. you purchase a coffee. Right, you get your you get your nice latte or whatever you get. Right? <laughs> you walk down the block, right? Maybe you go to a park in Philly. You say, you know what? It's <laughs> but whatever. I'm gonna walk. I'm gonna, I'm gonna check it out, right? And you, you, and when you when you encounter the tree and trees and grass, it is as if, and the air around you, it is as if the trees and the grass and the bushes and the birds in the air is looking to you. To, as it were, not only release them from their their corruptibility, from their bondage to decay, Mm -hmm. but to, as it were, teach them how to worship the Lord in full commission, which which already happens, according to Psalms, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, If you read the Psalms, right, the trees are clapping, the trees of Lebanon are worshiping. Being like all of creation is worshiping, especially towards the latter uh, chapters of the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Human beings are called vocationally to, to bring together this, this concert of voices that is creation onto God as a worship leader, as it were, right? And to, and to unite all of sensible reality, that is empirical reality. This is Maximus now. That is empirical reality, the, the world of the sight and sound, right? Mm-hmm. And intelligible reality, right? Think of uh, uh, um, uh, Plato's forms here, right? Intelligibility. To unite all of that unto God in and through our very lives. Wow. This is very mystical, right? This is very, <laughs> like, this is like, what? Like, yeah. right? And so, I mean, this, so... That's that's sort of the goal of Maximus's anthropology, mm-hmm. and it starts with his understanding of the human being being a composite creature of mm-hmm. body and soul. Which, okay, so, uh, and so you know, in, in my, my paper, question. I told, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> of, of yeah. just like his his view of the body is kind of like in two parts, and that's the yeah. physical body and the soul. Yeah, the physical body and the soul. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, sorry. What were you saying? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's it. The physical body and the soul. And, and, and Maximus um, sees them both essential to our humanity. You can't have a soul without a body. You cannot really have a body without a soul. Mm-hmm. He talks about this unifying principle there, that that, that is the logoi of the human being, right? The essential uh, intelligibility of the human being is this ensouled creature, this, this the, 
the form of the human being is the soul. The form mm-hmm. of the body is the soul. It's very Aristotelian. It's very, it's a, it's a, it's a, a thinking. It's a thought that goes all the way back to Aristotle. Mm-hmm. Maximus uses that theologically. Okay, and and he brings it together, and he says, "Yeah, the soul body, that soul body composite is huge." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is and he, he also and he, he al- say mm-hmm. about the relationship between the soul and the body? Like, what it, what does that look like in Maximus's worldview? Yeah, the the soul in Maximus' uh, uh, worldview uh, has a sort of preeminent place over and against the body. So you definitely see in Maximus uh, uh, a, a sort of subtle privileging of the soul with respect to the body mm-hmm. that the soul ought to lead the body um in 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 a life of virtue to the degree in which uh that 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 reveals uh, uh god's overall plan which is to become embodied in all things right mm-hmm. so so the soul does that by way of cultivation of the virtues and the cultivation of the virtues uh, will train uh, not only the soul but the body to walk in unison with the will of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, definitely a privileging of the soul uh, in 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 Maximus over against the body. But uh, what I what I would argue for is that the body that doesn't mean that the body is of less importance. It's just uh, uh, um, it's a uh, it, it's a uh, the relationship between the soul and the body is not one of significance as it is one of sort of hierarchical ordering. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, it's just like it, it, so. In that sense, we see that there, and and the way he grounds the human being, as he grounds all all of reality, is in the eternal logos, which is the second person of the blessed Trinity, Jesus mm. Christ. Wow. Right. Because the Word became flesh. When you see that in Greek, it is a logos mm. became flesh. Logos mm. is the word. Mm-hmm. And 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 that Greek word is is pregnant with meaning. Right? It, it can mean intelligibility. It can mean word. It means meaning or purpose, right? And, and so and so, the logos becomes a human. The logos who who created all things, who sustains all things, all things participate in the logos. So for Maximus, that the world is intelligible is an indication that it it, it is it is created by and situated in and is culminating and oriented towards the eternal logos that's the reason why the world is intelligible and so that and so that god the eternal logos becomes a human being means that intelligibility which is the ordering principle of all things becomes flesh and blood mm-hmm. right and so that's where we see this sort of unifying the human body for Maximus. Yeah. So I, I'm understanding that there's kind of like this hierarchy of of God to the soul and then the soul to the body in a way. Mm-hmm. Um my question is how can how can one cultivate their soul then if, if the goal is to through the soul achieve uh achieve God's will using the body. Yeah. How 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 do we cultivate our souls then? Yeah, uh, in essence, from Maximus, I think this is actually a direct quote from him. He'll say that the essence of Jesus, right, mm-hmm. and 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 so at the heart of all virtue, right, is Christ Himself. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Aristotle uh, will have a lot to say about the cultivation of virtues, and and Plato will will speak on that as well. But for the Christian, what's distinct is that at the heart of all the virtues is Christ. Mm. And and so how do we fulfill the virtues? How, how is all of that mediated? It's faith in Christ and living out that faith in a life of love. And so love is the manifestation, the perfection of all the virtues. Mm-hmm. So the more I learn to love God and, and, and other humans, the more in we, it's, 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 it's in that that the soul grows in, 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 in virtue. And it's in that, in the act and the life of love, that the body finds its home. That the body then, for instance, I won't, I no longer uh, sexually objectify other people, right? Mm-hmm. That that would be that would that's not a life of love. That's a life of lust. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's it's mediated through control and perversion and et cetera, et cetera. But love would be one of which I would seek to preserve the dignity of other human beings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my body will follow suit. So what I think here is of Paul when he will say. Uh, where is it in Romans 6 or 7 do not use the member towards sin right don't use the parts of your body for the sake of sin um, so it's it's in that sort of logic so um, how do we cultivate this live a life of love it's a mm-hmm. substance of Christ and, mm-hmm. and, and your body will follow suit mm-hmm.